I think there is a unfortunate association in the venture capital community that crowdfunding is kind of dumb money. It's not mm-hmm. smart money. I didn't look at our investors as, as not smart money. Majority were our customers who already had version one. And so they believed in the technology. Uh, they were also interested in version two, which is kind of the whole point of us raising money at this point is to build Oak and to get it approved. That's very smart money in the sense of they know a lot about the technology. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Kelly Roman, a Harvard graduate with an English major who took an unconventional path to med tech, inspired by his experience co-authoring the graphic novel adaptation of The Art of War. As co-founder and CEO of Fisher Wallace, he spearheads the development of wearable brain stimulation technology aimed at providing relief from depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, adaptive thinking and the willingness to explore alternative approaches can yield great results. Whether you're tackling FDA regulation or capital fundraising, leverage your resources and real-world experience to get to your goals quicker. Second, be mindful of the obstacles standing in the way of your device's potential utilization, no matter how efficacious it is. The only way to create change and ensure long-term market success is to prioritize the needs, comforts, and desires of your end users. Third, don't be afraid to consider remote trials for a cost-effective and expedient approach to FDA clearance or approval, particularly in the field of mental health research. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that the latest edition of MedSider Mentors is now live. Volume 4 summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Rob Ball, CEO of Shoulder Innovations, Kate Rumrell, CEO of Ablative Solutions, Dr. Christian Ramdo, CEO of Tempa Health, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups in the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones. But there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. And if you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. You'll also be able to see all of our playbooks, which are hand-picked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or position your venture for a meaningful exit, MedSider Playbooks have you covered. And last, considering that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, we created a meticulous database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. Learn more about MedSider Mentors and our premium memberships by visiting MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. All right, Kelly Roman, welcome to MedSider Radio. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I've uh, been kind of following... 
Fisher Wallace uh, for a while. Some of my, my days founding Juve, you know, so kind of watching what you've done with, with you know, crowdsource funding, decentralized remote trials, done some done some cool stuff. So along with obviously building a cool product. So looking forward to the to the discussion. So I recorded uh, a brief bio at the outside of this, uh, this episode, but let's start there. If you can kind of give us an elevator pitch for your professional background leading up to starting Fisher Wallace and kind of running the company as CEO, that'd be great. Sure. I, I didn't start in the medical device or on the medical side, really. I started in marketing, communications, social media. So prior to Fisher-Wallace, I, I worked at a few companies. I worked at Nielsen Media, and that was really at a time when Bebo was a big social network, mm. and I was responsible for building some partnerships uh, between Bebo and billboard.com and what was called the book standard and Kirkus reviews around authors. So I was working with big book publishers and authors and, and we were creating video content for the books. And then uh, that was kind of much better than your typical book ad. And I, I recruited some film schools to do that. And we ran that content on billboard.com and, and then I was actually offered a job at Bebo. I turned it down and ended up writing a book for HarperCollins. So I spent, which was always a dream of mine. I was an English major at Harvard. So I, I wrote a and did the basic illustration for a graphic novel and then worked with a brilliant illustrator named Michael Deweese. So, and we adapted The Art of War, Sun Tzu's The Art of War. So that, that's actually informed a lot of my business since then. So even though that's very different than a medical device company, um, I was living and breathing the art of war for a number of years. Uh, after that book project, I was looking for something to do. And I met Chip Fisher, who had purchased the IP of our version one device from the engineers. And his co-founder had, had just passed away fairly suddenly of cancer. So uh, I became... Uh, his his new co-founder and we you know started very humbly but you know chip didn't have a, a medical background either he came he had his father founded an electronics company uh that was very successful it was called fisher radio became fisher electronics um so he grew up in the electronics business and uh so we had very different kind of backgrounds than a typical a medical device startup and i think that's actually benefited us Got it. Got it. And is, is Chip still involved with the, with the company? He that, is. Yeah. He's the chairman, uh, majority shareholder. Got uh, it. He's not, you know, in the office every day, but he's, but I speak to him all the time and he's uh, very active, especially now we're back in fundraising mode. So, you know, he has a very deep uh, social network and yeah. uh, so he's very much involved. Got it. Got it. If time permitting, I'd love to kind of uh, pick your brain a little bit about your, your, uh, the, some of the things that you applied right from from your book uh, to what you're doing at Fisher Wallace, but um, we'll save that question. Um, but for the uh, for those that aren't familiar with the devices that you're developing and commercializing, help us get a better a better sense for kind of like the the underlying technology, what they do, and, and maybe maybe explain it as if I'm a freshman in high school trying to trying to learn about you know what Fisher Wallace does. Sure. So I think we're all familiar with the foundations of human health, right? We, most of us know you're supposed to sleep well, you're supposed to eat right. One of those foundations is also brain health. Everything that you do, that you think, uh, you know, thinking, sleeping, feeling, obviously is, is all rooted in the brain. So 
on a macro level, we're in the brain health business. Um, we have an electric uh, brain stimulation wearable, and the brain is an electrical system. And so, you know, most of us are familiar with taking medications uh, to change the way the brain functions. But another way to do that is to uh, take a very refined form of electrical stimulation and actually harness uh, what's going on in the brain and, and bring it back to a homeostasis, to a healthy state. And you can do that electrically. So, so that's what we do. And, uh, but we've, you have to focus on something to start with uh, as for, you know, a reason for someone to adopt it. And we've focused on depression and uh, depression is, you know, a, a complicated thing to treat. And there isn't a, a tremendous amount that's understood about how depression manifests itself in brain function, but we do know some things. And, and what we've discovered in our research and in commercialization is that electrically stimulating the brain with our technology is actually much faster than medication typically is. Uh, there's a few exceptions and also doesn't introduce any side effects, any serious side effects, because we're not a chemical intervention. So very rapid, safe treatment of depression, but also there's a whole scope of, if you can think of anything that the brain is involved in, if we're bringing that brain to a state of health, then that will improve. And so there's a, there's a long list of other things that we're proving out that it helps with. And we, we've actually done quite a bit of research already on many other things like Parkinson's and substance use disorder and anxiety and insomnia. So I really look at this as a super device uh, for healthcare, something yep. that you might think of more like uh, in the consumer app world and everything app. So that, that, that's what we're trying to build here. Got it. Got it. I'm looking at the um, uh, the Oak uh, device on your website, which is FisherWallace.com. Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, FisherWallace.com. Uh, we'll link to it in the full summary uh, on MedSider, uh, as well as um, Kelly's LinkedIn profile. But for those that don't get there, uh, that's the website where you can learn a little bit more about the technology and the company. Um, but we'll get into the the ClinReg kind of topic in more detail later on. But is this a uh, is this a class two device then? Is, I'm presuming it's class or... three for depression. Got it. Okay. It will be class two for most other things. Okay. Uh, but for, for depression, it is class three. So it's a full approval process. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, That's super helpful. And then give us a sense for where the company's at in terms of like development, reg and, and commercialization. Because I know you started off with the 1.0. Uh, device, which I believe is in market. You've done, you know, I think some ex extensive uh, clinical studies, but where you're at as it pertains to 1.0 and then uh, the Oak 2.0 device. Sure. So we commercialized the 1.0 under a now, you know, ending and actually in the case of depression has ended a temporary 510k clearance, which was um, not to get too technical, but the FDA used to regulate these devices under uh, an antiquated form of regulation that came in when the that it was established when the FDA first came into being in the 1970s because there were electrical stimulation devices, crude ones, on the market at that point. And they updated that regulation in 2019, and now it's it's been taking effect fully this year. So uh, we no longer market uh, version one because of that has now uh, officially ended for depression. And so now we're focused on uh, getting approval for version two, but 
under that temporary clearance, we sold a hundred thousand devices. So we, you know, it's about 40 million in revenue. So we, we've definitely proven product market fit. We learned a tremendous amount uh, from our customers. And it also, over that time, we, we did conduct quite a bit of research. Uh, over the last few years, all the research we've conducted has been on the version two technology. Uh, the biggest difference is that version one was variable output uh, so that the user could select the amount of electricity that was coming out of the device and the version two is a very precise fixed output. Got it. So, and, and then of course, there's a huge difference in the form factor. So the version one requires a headband. It's a very rudimentary industrial design. Uh, it's been called like a Radio Shack looking device, which I, <laughs> I don't mind that's truthful. Uh, has a couple of wires, red and black wires. It looks like you're jumpstarting your, your head. And so what we did with Oak, the version two, is uh, got rid of the wires, hired uh, one of the best industrial designers out there, Eric Fields, who did the first Nest thermostat and mm. products for Beats. We hired the engineering firm of Beats, of all the Beats products called Alloy Product Development. They've also worked on the HoloLens and a bunch of other products, including some medical products. And so we've been developing that for a year and a half, uh, almost two years. And we should have, hopefully, the, the engineering finished for the prototype, you know, by the end of this year or, or early next year, then we can pass it on to our manufacturing partner. And within a few months, they'll be able to uh, build in what's called investigational oak, which we can distribute before approval for research as well as for pilot programs. And so we plan to do that, not really for approval. We have a research version that we're doing the research for, for Oak, uh, but we want to get Oak out into the world uh, mm -hmm. next year. And then, then we're at the mercy of the approval process in terms of when we can be fully commercialized. We're expecting that in the second half of, of 2025. Okay, got it. So th that interim period, let's call it maybe early 24 through maybe early 25, when you're sort of getting Oak out into the sort of the, the, the public domain, um, letting Oak go wild <laughs> into, the, into the wild. Um, are you effectively like commercially launching that just with limited claims then? Or like what walk us through kind of the process there? Because I think that that is that is unique. Uh, and I think most um, med tech or health tech entrepreneurs don't don't think in, in that in that same yeah. light. So, yeah, yeah. so maybe let me explain can, that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's um, and it, it's also tied to the manufacturing process. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can't commercialize Oak as in sell it to the public until it's been approved. And mm -hmm. not only that, but you can't sell a device that hasn't gone through all of the commercial validation testing, the non-clinical testing, such as shelf life, drop testing, all the things you associate with even a regular piece of consumer electronics. Now, for what's called an investigational device, it doesn't need to meet those commercial standards, either on the regulatory side or on the manufacturing side. It's, it's called the EVT stage. So it's a fully functional device. It's kind of like you can think of it as the first fully uh, formed version of it before all of that non-clinical testing has gone through. Uh, not much should change, obviously, after that. Uh, but as long as you have 
participants who are using it in a study or in, in a pilot program where there is informed consent and you're able to have these things tested. And an example of that is we recently wrapped up a, a pilot study with the Seattle Police Department. Now, they enrolled about 200 subjects, police officers, first responders, there were a couple other departments involved. And we could do that exact same thing with Oak before it's uh, approved, right? Because you're, you're using it in an investigational context. And so you can collect data. And so you can add to your portfolio of data, but the real intent, well, I shouldn't say the, that that's one intent is to collect data. The other intent is to demonstrate that a partner like the Seattle Police Department can adopt it. It thinks it's valuable. Uh, it's really real world evidence. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, uh, just in a lab. These are people, participants who are using it out in the world and are being tracked remotely through an app. And uh, so that's my plan. And I think a very great way to actually get market traction and to build a B2B case study, one or more. So we're planning to manufacture at least 7,500 devices like that. Hmm. And have many pilot programs. We also have a lot of folks who, when they invested through us through equity crowdfunding, and we can talk about that later, yeah. a lot of our past customers of version one, they got a, a coupon code to get Oak for free. We can invite those people to participate in what's called a usability study or confirmatory testing in which we're wanting to confirm that everything that we assume we've designed and built into this device actually works in the way we intended. Uh, again, there's a research purpose, but you can certainly get the device out, out there. And in fact, the FDA requires what's called confirmatory testing. It's not a clinical trial. Like if you have a version two of something, right, whether it's a dialysis pump or whatever, if everything basically is the same, but there are some significant, say, design, industrial design changes and so forth, they're going to want what's called confirmatory testing just to show that there's not a significant difference between the version one and the version two. And that's what we have to do for Oak, because it is, aside from the industrial design, it is exactly the same as the version one, I was going to say it, it's fixed output, but yeah. you know the, we can use a version one industrial design and research, get the approval with that, and then get confirmatory testing for version two because there aren't any changes that would, for instance, change the intended use, change the contact materials, change the method of control. So you know you're able to, which I think is another important point mm -hmm. for startup founders, is you're, you're able to innovate design while you're doing research for that new design, uh, as long as you're checking all the boxes that wouldn't require a whole new set of clinical data for your version two. And so yeah. we're being careful to make sure that we, we uh, were able to take all of the clinical data and the approval from the research version. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think it, it's not every single device you're not, you're not going to be able to kind of follow this sort of pathway with every, every single device, right? every like device. as, yeah, as, as an example, like if I'm, if you're developing a heart valve, right. I mean, there's not yeah. like, there's not maybe a one-to-one -one sort of analogy here, but I, right. I, I think kind of the framework though is, is really interesting to talk about because the natural position that most med, you know, people that, um, that are kind of like pure play medical device folks, 
they would not think to get their their devices like this out into the public, into the into the end user's hands um, as early as possible. And, and if they are, maybe they're only thinking about within the context of, of collecting data, which is important, right? But as you mentioned, like if you can establish, if you can collect data and establish sort of a, a precedent when working with like the Seattle Police Department, as an example, yeah. that has commercial implications, right? Um, it has implications as, as you know, in terms of iterating on the packaging as an, you know, is another example or whatever. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of learnings to be had and a great opportunity to kind of showcase, uh, you know, the real world impact, right? Of, yeah, of, just of the problem. word of mouth yeah. of it is important. Yeah. That can't be your primary reason for doing a pilot program like that. It has mm -hmm. to be collecting data. There is a legal reason for that. Yep. But the data, it, you don't have to fake that. It, obviously, mm -hmm. you want the data. So there, it's really the secondary benefit of that word of mouth from an important partner using it is very valuable. So there's an incentive to, to do that. Yep, yep, no doubt. Um, I want to I want to circle back around to your experiences running some of these remote clinical trials. But before we get there, let's go back and kind of touch on uh, development for a little bit because you and I'm looking at your your website. I can see 1.0, right? It does look it does. I mean, your the Radio Shack style kind of device. It does it does sort of uh, ring true. Um, but as you approach development with Oak 2.0, I'm sure there's probably a ton of learnings, right, coming out of 1.0, um, sort of that that phase of Fisher Wallace. And this is one of the most, you know, challenging aspects to any any health tech, med tech founders. Like, how do I be um, as capital efficient as possible in these early development phases, so I can I can learn it as much as possible, but kind of you know continue to uh, push the kind of the, the the development forward. So, I guess is there anything is there anything you're doing differently this time around, right? With Oak 2.0 versus 1.0 in terms of trying to um, get to your 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 alpha, your beta as fast as possible in the most efficient way. Yeah. And I think, I mean, our path is, I would argue, as much as a consumer product as it is medical, or mm -hmm. if you have a Venn diagram, we're in the middle of those two things, which it is not your typical med device. So I would look at it more, to answer your question, more, more like how would you approach consumer product innovation? Mm -hmm. And we've already spoken about the ability to get new product out in users' hands through pilot studies and I, I think the the things that I learned from version one definitely informed the industrial design of version two. People didn't like the wires hanging down. Uh, that, that was the biggest thing is how do you get rid of these wires, right? Uh, the second thing is batteries, right? Our version one uses two AA batteries. Version two uses lithium ion battery that can be rechargeable. So... Uh, those two things alone, removing the wires, having a rechargeable unit, I mean, that's a huge improvement in, in usability. Uh, the, then we had to think about things like, well, in version one, you can look down at the device because you can hold it with the wires coming up and you can see, you know, if you've lost conductivity between the electrodes, if, for instance, if they're not wet enough or if, if you've lost it or if there's something wrong with the battery. Well, if everything's on your head, you can't, you don't have that visual cue. So then you have to think about, well, how do you alert the, the user of these things? And so we built a little speaker into one of the pods, electropods, and we can communicate audio and there is a little LED light. We can communicate. If you happen to be holding it, you can see, oh, it needs to be charged or. So those are the kinds of basic usability questions. I think the, the two other things I learned is that we wanted to continue to destigmatize treatment, especially for depression, right? And 
the version one device, industrial design, it's inexpensive, which is also a plus. We're actually, the cost of building oak is going up version two, but we think we're going to get that back in terms of the desirability of it and the, it will cost less to market, right? So you're, you're, you're getting that extra cost of manufacturing, I think, well, more, more than, it's going to more than cover it. But the, the destigmatization part was a, a goal of version two industrial design. We wanted to make the device uh, not look like something medical. We wanted to make it look just like a, a really cool wearable that um, that you would you know want to be seen wearing mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, not wanting to be seen wearing. Um, and I think the other thing we learned is that we have lifetime customers. So our users, about 92,000 customers that bought 100,000 devices and people bought more than one. Uh, we've had people buy eight. They've hmm. eight different houses or some <laughs> very wealthy customers who were able to get one for each house. Um, I, you know, people want to use this device for the rest of their life. We surveyed our customers and we were surprised at how many people were using it after symptoms went into remission because of the cognitive benefits. And so if someone's using it for 40 years, then you know, they're not going to use the same device mm-hmm. for 40 years, right? Yeah, especially something that you're wearing on your head twice a day. It's going to get dirty. It's going to get worn. You know, I think we'll we'll be able to have a five-year shelf life with Oak. I think people who are active users using it twice a day, they're probably going to want another one uh, in three years. And, um, and we can then build a, not unlike a cell phone, an, an innovation mm-hmm. Uh, schedule, of course, it's more complicated than the cell phone if you have to go get new approval and stuff. So there's there's some stuff that we'll navigate there. Uh, but in general, we're expecting uh, customers to get a new device every three years. And so that that in and of itself justifies focusing on product development, continuous yep. product development. Yep. Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.